You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Our series of I've Got Bad News and I've Got Good News, we're journeying through Romans chapter 1. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 22. And welcome to Siena campus and Cypress campus and downtown campus and our digital family as well as we journey on this series. See, before you understand the good news or appreciate the good news, you have to understand the bad news. And so Paul is going through Romans chapter one, two, and three, and he's gonna talk about the sins of the Gentiles, then the sins of the Jews in Romans chapter two, and then we're all sinners in Romans chapter three. And sandwiched in between Romans one, verse seven, which says all who are in Rome are loved by God, And Romans chapter two, verse four, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. We end up with a real big discussion of sin. So in between the love of God and the kindness of God, he says, look out for the sin in the world and in your own hearts. And we started it last week. So I hope that you'll listen to last week's message in combination with this week's message, because this week we have a a subject that's difficult for us, not biblically, but in society. I remember it was the late 80s. I was a teenager. We were sitting in New Orleans, Louisiana with my family at dinner. As I remember, there was about 10 of us at a table. And I began kind of being the class clown a little bit, the family comedian, and started joking around. And I started kind of picking on uh, Uncle Bobby. He was the uncle in our family uh, through marriage, but we would spend uh, a week at the beach, all of our family together, and Uncle Bobby would be there. We would spend time together on holidays, and Uncle Bobby would be there. This time, he was hosting it. We were at his house. There was about 10 of us around the table, maybe even more. I loved Uncle Bobby. He lived in uptown of New Orleans, a real cool area. He had a Porsche 911 that was right there on the, in the garage. He dressed sharp. He was witty and fun. He was an amazing guy. What a guy. And as I sat there joking, I was joking around, he was single, about him. What if Uncle Bobby got remarried? What, can you imagine Uncle Bobby driving a minivan? Can you imagine him with a couple of kids? Can you imagine him with a wife? And I noticed that everyone was really awkward around the table and no one was laughing until finally... Another family member after dinner pulled me aside and said, you know, Uncle Bobby's gay. I said, well, why didn't y'all tell me? I didn't know this. And all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks and it was a very difficult time for our family of understanding how to respond to this. How do we do this? We loved Uncle Bobby, no doubt about it, but how do we interact with Uncle Bobby and Mark? How does this work? It was difficult for him. It was difficult for our family. It was difficult for my cousins and I as teenagers to know how to process this. And so our family, probably like your family and maybe even your own life, has been touched in a way where you process these things. Biblically as a Christian, how do I respond? What happens? And some Christians have leaned so far on love your neighbor that they no longer have truth. And some have long, long leaned so far on declare truth that they've not loved their neighbor well. And so we want to be able to be in biblical tension and do both, that we can love well and we can stand on truth. Now, if you, we want to just throw out the premise and throw it away of this, that you have to agree in order to love someone. If you have to agree to order to lo- in order to love someone, I just want to ask, is anybody married in the room? Anybody married? Right? You don't have to always agree to truly love someone. 
So if you agree with the things that I share here, I don't want you to be big amen and yay, preach it brother and all that because I don't want to cause division. And if you disagree with what I say, I want you to listen and hear it out. So let me just ask us a couple questions that I could just give you kind of as a, a questions to think about before we jump in. Number one, do you believe in God? Number two, do you believe that God reveals his will through his Bible? Number three, a question that's a little bit of a challenge for us, what happens if your will and God's will are different? How do you respond to that? What takes place with that? So we want to look at this strong word that Paul's going to give, sandwiched between Romans chapter 1, verse 7, the love of God, and Romans chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to find here in the middle, Paul's going to address 23 different sins, okay? So if you think any of us are getting out of this alive, it's not happening. 23 sins, but he's really going to highlight one, and he's really going to look at that. If you were to build a house, you would need something like this, probably more high level than this, but this is a level, isn't it? You don't want a house that's built like this. You don't want a house that's built like that. You're going to have to put it down and to make sure that right there, that bubble is in the center, that it makes sense, that it's level. Well, guess what? The Bible gives us, it gives us the leveling to look at our lives. So we can say, what's the standard? What's the connection? What's the level here? And so that's what we want to do is we want to take a biblical level and to be able to say, okay, how does this work? And how does this level out? And what does the Bible say to this? Now, let me also say your listening guide is going to be important for you. All campuses, if you'll grab that, you'll notice I've got two sides. We're going to move fast. You're going to write some things down. We've got a QR code right here on the back for you. We have put on our website, and I've already hit the QR code here. Um, we've got on our website other resources of articles, of different uh, timelines that we've got of how our society's gone, um, different things. So you'll want to click onto that. You'll want to see that later. Lots and lots of resources. I can't cover everything in just these few minutes. Let's look in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, as we see what Paul says here to those in Rome and to us as well. Verse 22, here's what it says. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Now, you're going to see three exchanges and three delivered overs, okay? Three exchanges, three delivered overs. I'll show you, and then we're going to go back through them. Verse 23, an exchange, there's number one, circle it in your Bible, the glory of God, glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. So God was exchanged for idols. Verse 24, therefore, here's your first one, God delivered them over in the desires of their heart to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. Verse 25, they exchanged, number two, the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what was created instead of the creator who is praised forever. For this reason, number two, delivered, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women, number three, exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way 
left natural relations with women and were inflamed with their lust for one another, men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Verse 28, and and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, number three, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they would do what is not right. And then we're gonna get to a whole lot of other sins there. But let's take these statements just one by one. Paul is making a point here that sin, not just homosexuality, but the other 21 that he's going to list in just a minute, that sin turns creation upside down, that God has a created order, and that created order is an obedience to God, and the way that created order is lived out is by us honoring and obeying God. So he's going to say in a little bit, disobedient to parents, that turns creation upside down. Greed not supposed to be that. We're supposed to be giving. Wickedness. No, we're supposed to be righteous. Do you see it? So he's going to turn it and he's going to say, because of the lack of acknowledgement of the creator, creation has been turned upside down. So he gives us three exchanges and he gives us three delivered them over. Now, an exchange of sin is always a bad deal. A bank robber gets money, but he ends up in jail. Bad deal. Students, you can cheat and get a good grade, but you've given up your integrity. That's a bad deal. You see it? It's always an exchange to the negative. So he gives us three exchanges. The first exchange is an immoral God for earthly idols. Bad deal. We're supposed to have heaven come to earth in the Lord's prayer, not earth being traded for heaven, or excuse me, heaven being traded for earth. So he says, you, tra- you, created, you traded the creator for creation. See, man will never create an idol that condemns him. So man loves to lift up other laws besides God's law because God is holy and just and he's outside of human realm. So man's not gonna do that. He's gonna lift up an idol, a created thing that he can just kind of give worship to, to placate and to get his authority really over even the idol. So man's never gonna create something that condemns him or even challenges him deeply morally. So he says, you've created or you've traded the creator for the created. So he's delivered them over to sexual impurity. Delivered them over to sexual impurity. Now, delivered them over. Here's how I want you to think about that. It's a Greek word that would mean something like this, that imagine God has got a rope and he's holding a boat. You're in a a boat that's got this three-man raft type thing and an inflatable boat and you're on a river with a bunch of rapids and God's holding the rope. And you and I keep going, let me go, let me go, let me go. But there's rapids, you don't wanna go, you don't wanna go. I'm holding you, I'm holding you. Let me go, let me go, let me go. And finally, God delivers them over to the river that they're requesting, okay? That's what this means. The worst thing that can happen in your life is that you would ask for God to leave you alone and he would. It's the worst thing that can happen. But how many times do we say, God, let me alone, let me alone, let me alone, let me alone. Let me, I, I know how to do the rapids. I want the rapids. The rapids are exciting. And God delivered them over to sexual impurity. Oftentimes people say, well, well, Christians just pick on homosexuality. Well, let me pick on all sexual impurity. This is talking about adultery. This is talking about pedophilia. This is talking about pornography. This is talking about premarital sex. Sexual impurity is a huge thing. And Paul says, hey, Romans, and Rome was majorly sexually impure. I mean, like grotesquely so. Basically in Rome, here's all that had to happen. You had to have dominance over whoever you had sex with. It was the same on the battlefield as it was in the bedroom. Same in the bedroom as it was on the battlefield. So if you had a slave, he or she is yours. 
You wanted homosexuality, go for it. You wanted pedophilia, go for it. As long as there's dominance, it was okay. Now we abhor that in our culture, in our Bible, in our Christianity. We abhor that, right? That's wrong, no doubt about it. And Paul says, he delivered them over to sexual impurity. Freud, Sigmund Freud, as you know, um, a psychologist from way back, I'm not promoting Freud's thoughts by any means. I'm just saying this is what he said, that all of human existence is the attempt to decrease pain and increase pleasure. Decrease pain, increase pleasure. And sex gives the greatest pleasure that a human can have. Therefore, sex is king. And so folks would live out of their flesh and say, I'm gonna get the greatest pleasure I possibly can. The second exchange is the exchange of truth of God for a lie. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth for a lie and it resulted in him giving them over to disgraceful passions, sins against the created order. The third one, they exchanged heterosexuality for homosexuality. That's what it said in verse 26. The women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. And then it says he delivered them over in verse 28 to a corrupt mind to do what is wrong. So it's very interesting the way this is put together. Paul puts the women first, not the men. Now that's interesting literary time in this time period to do that. Why does he do that? Some versions say even the women. Typically, typically men are going to be more sexually driven than women. So you're gonna end up with a greater statistical aspect of men being in sexual immorality than women. Doesn't mean that women don't face that. Doesn't mean that's not a temptation. I'm just saying, typically, men, it's us that go too far, typically. So what Paul is saying is a gasp. He's saying to the Romans, even the women, and beginning with the women, He's saying, even the women. So this is where this culture is in Rome, even the women. Now, Paul does something. He sets apart homosexuality apart from the list of 21 other sins. And so has our society. Paul sets it apart and our society sets it apart. We're gonna read in just a second, the 21 other sins And I bet as we read those, there is no debate in your mind or in this culture whether these are sins or not. Yet there is a debate on whether or not homosexuality should be celebrated or it's a sin. There's a debate on that. But all the rest of them, there's not. So let's look, if you will, let's look at verse 27. Let's start with with 26. Get the context. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. That was our second deliver over. To their women, gasp, exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way left natural relations with women and inflamed in their lust to one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Paul takes that out. Verse 28, and now, and because they did not think it worthy to acknowledge God, again, they take him out as creator, it's just man's desire, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. Now, here we go. Be encouraged. Verse 29, they are filled with unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. 
They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Now, that list of 21 sins, none of us go, you know what, I I think, why, why don't we have a disobedient to parents month? Nobody is ever going to walk into the human resources area of their company and say, hey, we got this little pin we want you to wear. It's wickedness month. And we're just trying to have a little bit more unmercifulness. Everybody agrees that those things are there. Yet Paul separates, did you see how he separated out from these 21 in the list? He separates out and gives more thought and more statement to the, un, uh, to the unnatural function here of homosexuality. And our society has separated it too. The atheist would agree with the list of 21, but they may not agree with the two of men and women, men with men and women with women. And our society has taken it and said, no, this is right. Now, the average American estimates that the LGBTQ plus portion of the United States is about 23.6% of our population. By what we see, by what we hear, but that's not true. It's actually 5.6% of the population. 45 in 2017, so it's up. This is according to a Gallup survey. Specifically, 0.7% of the population says they're lesbian, 1.4% says they're gay, 3.1% say they're bisexual, and 0.6% says transgendered, 0.2% says other. Now, you think about the way that is put, 0.6% says transgendered, and every single day you hear a conversation about that and some type of division about that, and some type of talk about that. Now, 5.6% of the population identifies as LGBTQ, yet June of Pride Month, you cannot go into a store and not see. Everywhere is logos changed. Let me just give you a comparison, just as a comparison. The number of Polish people a Polish ancestry in our country is 3%. You ever hear anything about Polish people? Disabilities Month is the month of March, and the CDC says that at least 26% of Americans have some type of disability. Have you ever been asked by your Human Resources Division to celebrate Disabilities Month? Quite like Pride Month. It is a strong, strong, strong push to say this should be celebrated. Let me give you a phrase. Toleration became affirmation, and now the only option is celebration or you will receive condemnation. Toleration, it all began with the homosexual movement saying, can't we in the privacy of our own bedroom do whatever we want to do? So then affirmation that the society must affirm this and we should be able to marry, which is kind of interesting even on that, there's different views on it on how the percentages are. 
but top percentage of 10% of homosexuals actually have gotten married. So 90% have not. So there's an affirmation. Now there must be a celebration. Not only can we get married and can we have the wedding reception, every baker and every florist in the United States must bake a cake regardless of their opinion or views. And what has gone from a place of tolerance of we want to do what we want to do is moved to a place that you must celebrate or there's gonna be condemnation. Does anybody wanna trade roles with me this morning? Anybody wish, I wish I was talking about this for 40 minutes. Why? Because you know there's a risk. There's a risk. I'm not ranting, I'm not raving, I'm not beating my fist, I've not said anything. We are definitely against any type of abuse, verbal or physical, of anybody. We want to welcome. There's a huge, huge push and it's going further and further to our children. Now, let me give you the stats because the push is working. For those of you that are considered traditionalists, that'd be our older generations, 1.3% of you, 1.3% say that you are a homosexual. Baby boomers, 2% say that you're a homosexual. Generation X, 3.8% say that you're a homosexual. Millennials, Generation X is me, uh, millennials, 9.1% of millennials. And Gen Z, which would be my kids' category and college students and below, basically, 15.9% are saying there's something besides heterosexual. So the extreme push is very effective. And students, I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me. You're going to learn chemistry. You're going to learn algebra two. You are a smart kid. There is only so much we can teach you as church and as parents. You have to know the Bible for yourself. And you have to love Jesus with everything. Our goal as a church is not to make you straight. Our goal as a church is to have you love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, what will happen is all of these sins will take care of themselves because you will not want to make an exchange of your heart for something that's sin. So what do you do, students and adults alike, if Starbucks disagrees with the Bible? What if Starbucks, Home Depot, Adidas, Banana Republic, Disney, Lego, PetSmart, Ralph Lauren, Skittles, and TGI Fridays, and 1-800-Flowers, and Target, and Teva, and Pop Sockets and Levi, and Reebok, those are all ones that celebrate highly Pride Month. What if they disagree with the scriptures? Let me tell you what I'm going with. I'm going with God and the Bible, not with corporate America. Corporations were not intended to be theological organizations. The Bible is. And so read it and know it and you tell me what it's saying here. Toleration has become affirmation and affirmation now requires celebration. And if you don't have celebration, you're gonna receive condemnation. Paul is writing this to Rome. He's writing this to Rome. Now, can I just tell you a little bit about Rome? I told you already. 
If you're dominant sexually, it's okay. Nero is the emperor of Rome. Nero, I can't even tell you all the things I've studied about Nero's sexuality. It would not even be appropriate for me to mention in this setting. But let me give you a couple. Nero first married a guy named Pythagoras. That is not the Pythagorean theory that you're learning in, uh, okay, different guy. He married Pythagoras, was a man. Nero put the veil on and Nero in the wedding was a bride. And he married a man and Nero was the bride. That didn't satisfy. So then he married a young boy, a teenage boy. And he married this young boy. He had him castrated. His name was Sporus. We don't even know his real name. That's a name that means seed. He married Sporus, a teenage boy. He castrated him and married him, and he had to dress as a woman. And now Nero was the bride to marry a man. Now Nero is the man to marry a bride. And then I could tell you tons more. This young man, Sporus, unfortunately, later on, he was asked to be in a play to do what he and Nero had done. He committed suicide. So Nero is terrible. And I'm not trying to put Nero next to your homosexual family member or friend. That's not what I'm trying to do in the least. He's a maniac. But Paul is speaking to this culture and Paul will be beheaded in about 67, 66 AD, just a few years after this, as he's speaking this to Rome. So the Romans are active in verse 32. It says, not only did they do these things, they even applaud them. So the celebration that I just talked about, they even applaud others who practice them. We see that in our own society. Now let's take for a second, we've looked at Romans 1 and we're gonna be back there in a second, but let's take a wider view. If I just cherry picked a verse of scripture, if I just taken out just one verse of scripture and said, oh, that's the gay verses, let's talk about them. No, there's six places in scripture that homosexuality is talked about. Genesis chapter 19 is one of the places in which it is discussed in Genesis 19, it's Sodom and Gomorrah. You know that story? It's where we get the word sodomy from, which is basically homosexual sex. That These angels come, they bang on the door, and Lot says, no, no, no. And the men of the town come and say, give us those angels. They didn't realize they were angels. We want to have sex with them. And so that happens. There's lots of problems in Romans chapter or Genesis chapter 19, but from the beginning of Genesis, it's declared a sin. Leviticus 18, in between, don't sacrifice your children to Molech, a false god in the fire. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't have sex with an animal. Right in between that is men don't have sex with men. Women don't have sex with women in this list there. That's, that's Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20. Romans 1, we just talked about. 1 Corinthians 6, I'll share with you in just a second. 1 Timothy chapter 1 as well. So there's six passages in the scripture and never once is it spoken of as a positive. Now let's say, because uh, some folks in my study I found, they say, but the Bible's not talking about monogamous homosexuality or marriage homosexuality. It's talking about just as it would of a perversion of heterosexuality. Now, okay, let's ask that question. Is that true? There's 44 couples mentioned by name in the Bible, meaning John and Jane is 29 of them. John and his wife is 15 of them, okay? So John and Jane, 29. John and his wife, 
15. So 44 couples specifically mentioned in the Bible, countless others. You know, Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding, right? So, I mean, there's other couples mentioned, but not by name. Zero are same-sex couples. So from Genesis till Revelation, we've got ample opportunity with churches being planted, with discussions through Judaism, through Christianity. We've got ample place for God to say, and then there was, you know, John and Jimmy or Jane and Jennifer. Plenty of opportunity. We have zero same-sex couples mentioned in the Scripture. We have no positive statements or examples of homosexuality. The biblical view of, abs- of, the biblical view of sex is abstinence or faithfulness in marriage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That goes for heterosexual, homosexual, abstinence or faithfulness in marriage. I've said it before, if we obeyed God in this one thing of sex, our entire society would be radically different. No rape, no pedophiles, no molesting, no adultery. Kids would be born into a mom and a dad home. So you take all those statistics of fatherless homes and crime and all these different things that happen with that. Abortion would drop. I mean, just this one thing, if we obeyed God in, would change our world. No rape. You cannot make a biblical case for anything but sin unless it's abstinence or it's faithfulness in marriage. I remember sitting with Uncle Bobby, talking with him and praying, with, praying for him. And I remember one summer, he was in New Orleans. I was up in the Metroplex area, Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I was a student minister, a youth intern. I made literally $100 a week, lived in a house owned by the church, and I remember just having a burden on my heart for Uncle Bobby and I just prayed for him and I asked my friends to pray for him and I, I wept over him and I talked to him and I wrote him letters and I tried to encourage him and I decided, you know what, one day I'm gonna buy a Bible for Uncle Bobby. I don't know if he has a Bible. So I went down to the Christian bookstore and I got a nice one. I got a good leather bound Bible and it was nice with study notes. And I I put his name right there at the bottom of the Bible in gold leaf and I had it ready and I packaged it up and I put it in a nice package. I went down to the post office and I sent it off and I'm making $100 a week and I probably just spent 80 of it on a, a Bible and mailing and all these different things. And I'm just, Lord, I just wanna send it. And so I send it and no response. And then I get a call Hey, Greg, Uncle Bobby. Hey, Uncle Bobby, how you doing? What's going on? Good, how's your summer? Oh, it's great. What's up with you? Da-da-da-da. We talked. He goes, hey, I want you to know I received your gift of the Bible, but I won't be reading it. And I just want you to know I'm not going to read it. And I'm a bit offended that you sent it. And I said, well, I just want you to know I love you. This book has changed my life. I think it's got a lot of wisdom on a lot of things. And I just want you to have it whenever it strikes you that you want to read it. Now you got a copy of your own. My goal wasn't to try to make him straight. My goal was to try to tell him about Jesus. There's a lot of problems with heterosexual immorality, a lot. And there's problems with homosexuality as well. And that's why God says abstinence and faithfulness, that's what God is looking for. And that's what this teaches, heterosexual, abstinence, and then faithfulness in marriage, a man and a woman. And so Paul takes this section of Romans, but we see it all throughout the rest of the scriptures as well. I've got bad news. 
and I've got good news. He just shared with us a whole lot, 23 sins. So if you think, well, you're just picking on one. I'm not picking on one. All 23. I'm bringing out one because that's what Paul did. So he is fulfilled of this. Now, here's the big question as we move into the good news. Here's the big question. Where is our identity found? I think this is going to be an aha moment for you. It was for me. Where is our identity found? Okay. Here's what shifted. And lots of generations are listening to me. So every generation is going to be like, okay, I, I get this. This is different now. Here's the shift that's happened in our society. Sex used to be an action, now it's an identity. Sex used to be something you did, now it's who you are. Do you see how big of a shift that is? So I've never thought of myself as primarily a heterosexual. I don't have a flag. I don't have a pin. I don't have a bumper sticker. I don't, I don't think I have a an icon like the rainbow, I don't, maybe we got, maybe there is one for heterosexuals and I just don't know it. I've, I've never, I've always seen, and the Bible speaks to, sex is an action, not an identity. And the shift from action to identity has resulted in a dialogue of the death. Watch. Homosexuals feel like when the church says, love the sinner but hate the sin, they say, you hate me. When the church is not saying we hate you, we actually love you. We're saying the action is not what God wants, but the action has become the identity. And so now speaking against the action is speaking against the identity. And that's not true. Sex is an action. It is an act. Okay? Now, let me take it and give us a little bit further on this. If you as a young heterosexual single think that your marriage identity will be based on sex once you get married, you might as well get a counselor now. You, might, you just might as well. If sex is an identity, then what about single people? Should I say to you, you have no identity? What about people that are widows or widowers? You no longer have an identity. Sex is not strong enough to hold your identity. It's an action. And we could talk about either biologically or biblically if that action is natural but it's not an identity. You've put too much onto sex as an identity. What's been the result in our society? This has resulted in the most private and loving act in the world, becoming the most public, political, and divisive. It's split denominations, it's split families, it's split our country because of the push. And I'm telling you, good news. Sex is not your heterosexual or your homosexual identity. It's not enough. You don't have sex enough for it to be your identity. It's not to be your identity. 
Do you find it odd, heterosexual or homosexual, that we talk about sex so much? Isn't it supposed to be private? Didn't this whole thing, even with the gay movement, start with, can't we do what we want in our own bedrooms privately between consenting adults? Yet it is talked about every day, all day, because it's become an identity and an action, and now we can't communicate. So I just tell you this, for those that struggle with same-sex attraction or homosexuality, the church loves you. We love you. But the Bible says the action is unnatural and wrong. Remember where we started. Can we love our neighbor and stand with truth? Do we have to agree to love? Is that the only definition of love is to agreement? And if the agreement is, is it a one-sided agreement? Your and my identity, our primary identity is far deeper than our sexuality. Your primary identity, this is good news, is far deeper than our sexuality. Sex within marriage is a blessing. It's a part of the intimacy of marriage between a man and a woman. But it's still not the basis of your marriage. It's an expression Sex is an act. That's why we say we had sex. They have sex. It's a, it's a verb to it, not an identity. So is it now the identity? Is it right? Let me ask you another question and we'll jump to a little bit more good news. Of all of our society and the disarray of it, has our society produced a morally superior rose than the Bible? Has the asphalt produced a rose? And that's what's being spoken is that the Bible is passe in old news and there's a new and higher morality that's based upon a new identity that this is who we are. And I've got good news. We were created in the image of God. That's good news. Created in the image of God. My primary identity doesn't have anything to do with being married, being a dad, being a pastor, being a man, being a heterosexual, being a certain generation. My identity and your identity is I've been created in the image of God and I'm standing firm on the block, on the rock of Christ. And so Jesus has created me and that's my identity. And watch, that lasts for eternity. And that fills the soul of my heart. And that's true for those that are struggling with heterosexual sin or homosexual sin. Your identity can be found in Jesus Christ. Remember Romans 1.7, loved by God. Romans 2.4, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. And so we bring that together to say, Lord, we trust in you. Sex was designed for marital intimacy and furthering life. Are people without a relationship or without a sex life, without an identity? Do we age out of identity or has God created us in his image and we can trust him? Let's wrap this up in 1 Corinthians. If you'll turn it to chapter 6, 1 Corinthians 6, we all need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And homosexuality might not be your thing, but I bet one of the other 21 sins got you. Romans 6, here's what it says. Good news, verse 9. Really good news. It says this. 
Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, no greedy, no uh, greedy people, no drunkards, no verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So that's kind of a new li- a, a, a redundancy of the list we just read. Verse 11, here it is. And some of you used to be like this. Do you see the past tense? But, good news, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We all need Jesus to love our neighbors. How? By listening, by loving and sharing truth. Not by preaching it and shoving the Bible down somebody's throat. By listening, tell me about this. By loving, let me walk through this with you. Would you like for me to to walk through this with you? Listening, loving, sending the Bible and sharing truth and loving and caring for them. And if they say, I don't want anything of it, well, God delivered them over. You can go down the rapids if you so choose. And then number two, we need Jesus to forgive and guide us. That's what verse 11 says. You used to be all of these things, not just homosexuality, all these things, but you were washed by what? The blood of Jesus, the identity of Christ restored in your life because of Jesus restoring your soul. We've all gotten off. We're all in this list of 23 somewhere. Past tense, sin forgiven. Present tense, righteousness lived out. Future tense, blessings received. Jesus Christ can forgive every single one of us. So here's what I say to you. No matter where you are on that sin struggle list, you fall in love with Jesus and get to know your Bible. And God will lead you in the paths of righteousness. That's it. Well, my Bible that, my, that I sent to Uncle Bobby, once we found out that he had AIDS, this is early 90s, the Bible sat on his nightstand. And his sister, my aunt, and her husband, my mom's brother, sat by his bedside and read him the Bible. And as he slipped into a coma, they just leaned closer to his ear because you can still hear. And they read the scriptures to him over and over and over and prayed for him as we all did. Until finally the call came that that Sunday night, Uncle Bobby had passed away. As I arrived in New Orleans to that church in New Orleans, it was one of the pallbearers of Uncle Bobby's funeral. I got there and the gay community was greatly represented because that was his friends. And I would say, hi, I'm Greg, I'm, I'm, I'm his nephew. Person after person said, you're the one that gave him the Bible. I said, yes, I did. It was right there on his nightstand in his dying days. Next person, are you the Greg that gave him the Bible? Are Are you the nephew? Did you give him the Bible? And I remember holding that coffin, walking out of that Catholic church, 
small lobby, so you could see from the altar through one door into the lobby through the next door and see a silver hearse. I'll never forget. And I, with my cousin and many others, took our spot and began to walk his coffin out. And I saw shattered looks on his friend's faces as another one, and that, this is early 90s, as a 46-year-old man, one of my favorite family members, was taken out, and I saw a shattered look as another friend went to the graveyard. And I didn't go, you should, and you compassion, love, and care. And I really believe that Christians must love our neighbors and stand with truth. And it's hard. But the word gives us good news that Jesus can wash us clean and forgive us of our sins. And all of us are sinners before God and in need of a savior. Father, we come in Jesus' name. We love you. We trust you. We pray, Father, with hearts of love and compassion. And we just tell you, Lord, we want to have the the right level as we build the houses of our lives. We want to be able to see where it's not level. And so, Father, we do not have a biblical problem of understanding what is sin and what is not sin. We do have a societal problem. And so, Father, we pray that you would show us exchanges we're making in our own lives where you're saying, I'm just going to deliver you over to that. If you're going to fight me on it, then okay. Just as C.S. Lewis said, there's two types of people, those who look to God and say, thy will be done, and those who God looks at and say, thy will be done. Father, we just come and we ask that you wash us clean and speak to our hearts, our lives. Cyprus, at Siena, downtown at the Loop, digital family. As C.S. Lewis also said, we were made for more than sex and sugar. We were made for you, created in your image. And we trust you, God. May we all turn to you to show us our true identity found in our creator who's made us in his image. That's where we find life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.